I'm sure you know. We usually only have one, but like last Wednesday, we had three. He was tired last Wednesday, too. Oh, man.
You didn't want to go in your class? Okay. You might want to go in here next week after you see that board under these accounts. See. I think everybody else has had one of these calendars still, right? Yeah. All right. I didn't get one. You didn't get one of these? I gave them out in January. Okay, I got more yeah. I don't remember bringing. I forgot to bring last week, and uh, Raven and John were here. Like, it, Ah, somebody is coming on. All right, Mary Thompson is connecting. So Mary Thompson can hear me, even though your um, your audio is muted. So there should be. Um, ah, I can see you now. There you go. I can actually manually unmute you. I just don't know if you want to be unmuted or not. Let's see here. Participants. Let's see if that does anything. Just want to see if you're if it'll work. Well, we can see you, and you can see me. You can hear me, right? Okay. Well, I guess that's all that matters. There's a little chat feature. If you can, you'll see that on there somewhere. If you wanted to talk, you could always type that, and I'll see it on my phone. It'll come up on my phone like a text message. It's in the next rooms. I didn't realize this button was messed up. Thank you. The times. Ooh, we got it started. Everybody else getting in here late. All right, did everybody get one of these for the day? Very once. All right, so for the month of wow.
the month of uh, November, we're praying for the persecuted church. My down up here. Praying for the persecuted church. The uh, in the next few weeks, I'm gonna be giving you guys some more papers I have over here, giving you a little bit more information about what the persecuted church is like. Um, but what I wanted to point out to you guys today was this answer to your prayer request right here on the front of your page. You'll see it says last June. Uh, I, I like this section, and it always pointed out, but I like it because it does show and tell, update us on some stuff we prayed about in the past. So it said last June we prayed for the Hakka people in East Asia who had heard the gospel but were hesitant to follow Jesus because of the risk of persecution and family pressure to worship the temple gods. Um, after, after we've been praying, there was an elderly couple who accepted Jesus there, and they put away their idols and stopped worshiping their ancestors. And since the elders have such a great influence on their family, there's new hope that maybe that'll mean there'll be more believers in the town since the elderly of all those that elder couple accepted it. So that's awesome to hear. Um, I've been doing research on the persecuted church to kind of get ready for, like I said, this month after this is here, that you're going to just have to sit in suspense and not know what's there until next week. You'll have to come back. <laughs> Sorry. I have to get you to come back somehow. Um, but there was some pretty shocking statistics when I started looking at what's happening to churches around the world and persecution, that stuff is going on. So we definitely need to be praying for that. And I think you might be shocked too when you look at some of these things that I found in prep for this month. Nationally, we're praying for Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where 70, almost 78% of the population's lost. So almost four out of five people in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, aren't saved. And there's one Southern Baptist church for every 35,000 people there. So they want to be praying, especially for church planters to plant churches in three specific regions. Um, I'm not from Philadelphia. So the Con Shohokin, anybody up there? Kashohokin, Upper Darby, and Point Breeze. They said especially these places are diverse, and so they're asking for church planters who have a passion for reaching people in their context and contextualize the gospel and where they're at, and specifically for Clay Myatt, who's the pastor in um, King's Cross Church in Ohio. Did I get that right? Oh, I flipped the page. Chris and Amanda Cope, who's the pastor at Keystone, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, he wants us to pray that the lost in the community will find their home in Jesus and that the people who are spiritually apathetic will begin to care about their walk with Jesus. So we'll pray for Philadelphia today and also for the Chris and Amanda Cope family. Any updates to the actual nature of list or our prayer request tonight? I'm sure Donna Bryson wouldn't mind me sharing it. Yeah, I meant to call her today and I forgot. Her surgeon went well. She texted yesterday. She said it's going to be a long recovery of getting past all of it. But her surgeon went well and she's doing well. And she'll be at her sister's in Bloodsville uh, until uh, she, because she can't do stairs yet. So it was at a rehab and they have to do steps here. So she'll stay here then too. Um, yeah. 
I was hoping Jim would be here so, because I hadn't talked to him this week. Has anybody heard from Jim since last Wednesday? I haven't heard from Jim since last Wednesday. I was hoping he'd be here today. Probably need to call him tomorrow, too. Cade is doing better. That's a good thing. He was here. I don't know if some of y'all saw. Uh, Ashley was texting Heather, and he was, like, not even walking yesterday. Yeah. It was very weird um, what happened to him. So we're definitely thankful that he's feeling better. I don't have my list from last week, so. What was? Was it the same surgery he had last time, but on a different spot? Yeah. Yeah. What last time was on the top, this time was on the <clears throat> Do we have any uh, anybody who wants to pray for the first few church tonight? Not All right, thank you, Joyce. Anybody wants to pray for Philadelphia and for the um, my that's my. Thank you, Sam. And does somebody want to pray for our prayer request tonight? Acts 1 8 list. Oh, thank you, James. Let's pray tonight. Thank you, Father. We thank you for this thing. We thank you for the opportunity to come to Jesus and to worship together and to study together and to bring our petitions and our prayers to you, Lord. Father God, we ask you just to be with those people in the areas where they are persecuted for their faith, the ones that are that are willing to become Christians, knowing that it's against what their family wants, it's against what politically is um, in their areas, it's, it's against the law, and in some places it means their lives are in jeopardy, and then, and they're still willing, Lord, to to step out and to acknowledge their faith and to, and to want to share it in that. And I ask you, Lord, for protection for those people to just guard and protect and guard and protect those that are they're sharing the word, that are, that are um, bringing the word to the people. And Father, we thank you and we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the example of this family that of uh, this elderly uh, couple that came to know you. That they are now going to be sharing that with their family and and just the the seed that's planted with them and what they're doing to grow in, in that area. We thank you, Lord, for that answered prayer, and we just praise you and worship you for that, and see that, Lord, your word never goes, never goes uh, uh, 
answered it that he always provided. And Father, thank you for those provisions and locally and all over Lord, we, all over the world. We thank you for hearing us and for taking care of us and for Lord that we we pray that we share the word and we Lord let the light your show wherever we are and that we're brave enough Lord to to just witness for you when we're called upon to the Lord in Christ's name. Amen. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here to lift up others in prayer with the city of Philadelphia tonight. I feel certain lifted this city up before. It's one of the major cities in our country where only about a quarter of the people are, uh, have received the <laughs> Salvation that you provide. Uh, there are three areas in particular that we want to lift up tonight that are growing areas in Philadelphia. The very diverse areas that need workers that haven't tied before. Spread the gospel in an area that may or may not be receptive to the message, but very much needs to hear through word. Try to draw closer to you, find a place where they can. Spread the gospel to others. The communities are Chahoka, the Upper Darby, and Point Three, South Philadelphia. We would also like to spread the code from Amanda Code, church planners, the Montgomery buildings. Thank you. That uh, are asking uh, for our prayers uh, that they can reach the community. There's a lot of apathy uh, from a spirituality standpoint, and they are uh, driven to bring your message to those people, build relationships, and hopefully, build relationships leading to those people to salvation through your son of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Father, I pray for the victim on the diagonal name this, Father, that you know the, the issues and concerns at hand, Father, that your, your glory and honor will uh, be shown through it, everything that's done, Lord. Uh, you have a plan for everything and an answer to everything, whether we, we agree with it or not. We pray that your glory is shown through it, and I pray for the, the hearts of the the family members and things that are that are dealing with it, Lord, uh, that you allow them to see that you have a, a reason and a purpose for all of it. Thank you for Christ. Amen. 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 there anybody I missed who had a little lighter? Uh, no, I'm just getting that feeling that I want to delay. Sorry. <laughs> no. We want to delay. We want to delay. No, y'all aren't working so hard. Maybe you're sitting here on time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. It's done. Uh, 
Did I get everybody now? Does everybody have one of those? Okay. So, what does what do you guys think? Now I'm going to necessarily want an out loud answer, but what do you guys think that this balloon today is going to have something to do with our lesson? And that's what I want y'all to be pondering about a little bit. We, uh, you know, one of the things I get asked a lot as a pastor is the question, why does Christianity have so many different denominations? In fact, I've had family members and friends who aren't Christians who will actually point to the fact that Christianity has a ton of denominations as reasons not to become Christians. Usually the argument is something like this. They'll say, hey, Christians can't even agree on what they believe, so why should I become a Christian? And Christians can't even know what they believe because they fight all the time. And that argument against denominations really fails to understand why we actually have denominations as a Christian people. Because um, here's the thing, okay, of course, we can let's set aside uh, liberal denominations because they're like a whole different beast in themselves. But when you look at conservative, orthodox Christian denominations, what you'll find is we actually agree on a whole heck of a lot of stuff. You know, we agree on the, the big doctrines, like Jesus is the only way to heaven, that we believe in the Trinity. Uh, we believe why he died on the cross for us. When you talk about the important stuff of Christianity, the stuff that makes you a Christian, every Orthodox conservative denomination believes all that. We all agree. And so why do we have denominations? Just because we agree with the major things doesn't mean we agree with everything with each other. And when it comes to the minor doctrines, when it comes to the smaller stuff, it's not quite as important. We do disagree with each other on how to interpret the Bible. And so the denominations are created basically to say, hey, you know, we on these minor issues, we're going to say this. And these other minor issues, they say they're going to stand there. And we can still be friends. We can still be Christian and brothers and sisters in Christ. We can reach across it and say, hey, we are bound together as believers and we can work together as believers. But we don't want to be in the same church necessarily because there are some minor things that we will disagree about when it comes to how to understand the Bible. And one of those doctrines is the doctrines I want to talk about tonight, which is called baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, this belief, this doctrine, really wasn't talked about a lot up until about 200 years ago, and it became prominent. It was around forever, but it really began to come prominent with the Pentecostal movement that began to rise about 200 years ago. Um, in fact, I'm curious, uh, how many of y'all have ever heard of the term baptism of the Holy Spirit? Anybody, anybody never heard that term before? I mean, it's okay. You can say no. <laughs> I mean, and especially in Baptist circles like this church, if you grew up in a Baptist church, a lot of Baptists haven't talked about that much because it's more of a Pentecostal emphasis, if we could put it that way. But here's the thing. Um, the Pentecostal church is the fastest growing Christian denomination. And since the Pentecostal church is growing so fast, it becomes a question and more of a point of emphasis is why do Southern Baptists and Baptists in general tend to disagree with this other large Orthodox Christian conservative denomination? And, of course, there's other differences between us and Pentecostal churches. 
But what you'll find is that a lot of those other differences all stem from the difference of this one doctrine. A lot of them will stem on our difference in how we say and what we say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And it falls along two different questions. One is, when does the baptism of the Holy Spirit occur? And the second is, what is the observable results of being baptized by the Holy Spirit? The answer to those two questions, when it occurs and what are the observable results, the way they were answered differently is the biggest difference between really Pentecostal churches and about every other Protestant church that's conservative out there. Um, thankfully, over the years, at one point, the really the rest of the Protestant conservative church and the Pentecostal church, they really butted heads hard with each other over this. And they fought hard about this and were separated by this. And thankfully, over the last several decades, the lines have gotten a little more relaxed, a little more blurred. Now, you'll, you'll still see some Pentecostal churches that are very hard-nosed. Um, just like you might find very, some Baptist churches that are very hard-nosed, too. But for the most part, um, there's been a much more relaxed atmosphere when it comes to talking about the subject between denominations. And I've always said personally that I'm a Baptist through and through. I'm a Baptist not because I went to a Baptist seminary and I grew up a Baptist. I'm a Baptist because I believe as best as a human can, the Baptists believe the Bible most correct, as the best as a human can is to understand the Bible. But if I was forbidden from going to a Baptist church, I wouldn't mind going to a Pentecostal church. That'd probably be my next choice um, because we are so similar. It's just this one aspect, really, that is, for me, the hang-up and why you don't see me be a Pentecostal church on Sundays preaching there, but in a Baptist church instead. So let's talk about this doctrine, and let's see, you know, first, where is it mentioned in the Bible? Secondly, why is it kind of things we agree upon, what everybody says and agree upon, as far as I'm aware? And then third... Let's talk about the differences and the impact those things can make. So let's get some passages today. We talked about where this appears in the Bible. Who wants Joel 2, 28 through 29? Joel 2, 28 through 29. Thanks, James. Just hate on to that just a sec. I'll tell you when. Who wants Luke 3, 15 through 17? Luke 3, 15 through 17. All right, thanks, Sammy. Like I said, just hold on to it. Who wants Acts 1, 4 through 5? Um, let's do Joe. Um, who wants Acts 2, 1 through 13? A little bit longer one, 1 through 13. All right, thanks, Teresa. And then the last one for now is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Who wants that? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Thank you, Pam. All right, baptism of the Holy Spirit. One definition found describes it as one of the Christ's mighty acts, saving acts, where he baptizes a new Christian with the Holy Spirit and thereby incorporates the Christian into the church, into, the church, into Christ's body. So it's one of Christ's mighty saving acts where Jesus baptizes a new Christian with the Holy Spirit and incorporates them into the church. By that they mean the universal church, not a local church. 
So when you begin to think about the Holy Spirit and baptism of the Holy Spirit, you really got to go back to the Old Testament. Because in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit didn't act like he does today. In the Old Testament time, not every person who faithfully followed God had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was only given to a few individuals and usually for specific tasks. So you see them on leaders like David or on Moses. You see them on prophets like Isaiah. But outside of those people or maybe for a specific thing, the Holy Spirit wasn't there. We even see in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit comes on people and then leaves people. He's not there the whole time. And that was the life of what it was like if you were a believer in the Old Testament. That's just what you had to deal with. You had to deal with following God without the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, you can probably imagine that that probably was horrible. <laughs> um, that was not a fun time. But in the Old Testament, there was some prophecies that said, hey, there would be a day where instead of the Holy Spirit being upon just the prophets or the king, that he would be on everybody who believes in God. And one of those things, for example, is Joel chapter 2. So, James, would you read that one? Uh, 28 through 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days. I will pour out my spirit. That's 29, right? Yeah. So you kind of get the idea. If I'm trying to paint a picture for how this thing has started, this doctrine. So you get your picture, you're an Old Testament Jew. You don't have the Holy Spirit, even though you faithfully follow God. And But there's a promise that one day that there will be a time when the Holy Spirit is on everybody. And that's pretty exciting if you don't have it. You hit the New Testament times, and John the Baptist comes along, and people get excited about John the Baptist, but he really kind of puts his foot a little bit down on him because he wants to point to somebody coming after him. And that's where what he says about the person coming after him is in Luke 3, 15 through 17. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he might be the Christ, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the song in the sand. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hands, so to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, that he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Right. So then you know, John the Baptist comes along. And he says that there's somebody coming after me, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so this promise is starting to come true. So Jesus comes, and even Jesus then, and we can't go to all these references, but he makes several references to the fact that the Holy Spirit's going to come one day after he leaves. And finally, near the very end, um, he says that, and it's Acts 1, 4 through 5. It's actually Jesus speaking in the book of Acts. I think that was Joe, right? Yes. And being assembled together of the them, commanded them that take children to borrow from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of God, which he saith he, ye have heard of me, 
for John truly baptized with water, for he shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Yeah. So you can see the tensions building. You know, Old Testament times, then John says it's coming, then you got Jesus, and he's telling his apostles that there's going to be a day where the Holy Spirit's finally coming, and he's like, go to Jerusalem, it's about to happen. And so the apostles go to Jerusalem, the 12 disciples, well, 11 of them, and they are praying on the day of Pentecost. And a lot of people consider the day of Pentecost, that that's the day that all these prophecies, which there's more, they finally happen, and you have the day that the people were baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they're were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When I heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia. Hamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and, and I'm sorry, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? Some favor, some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Right. So Acts 2, 1-13 doesn't actually say baptized with the Holy Spirit, but everybody pretty much agrees that that was the day that all of these prophecies finally came true, and the, and the first Christians were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and essentially the first Christian church was created on that day too. And that event is so important for this doctrine, and that's why the Pentecostal church is called Pentecostals, because it happened on Pentecost. Uh, because this event is so important for this doctrine. Now, in the New Testament, of course, this, the, the phrase isn't even in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, there's seven places where the phrase baptized with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit occurs, only seven times. And um, four of those times are in the Gospels, three of them being the really all around John Two of those times are in reference to, to the book of Acts and Pentecost. There's only one other time in the whole Bible outside of Acts and, and the Gospels that this phrase, baptized with the Holy Spirit, occurs. And that's in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13. So this becomes a very important passage, too, because it's when you hear this phrase again, but not connected to either Jesus himself or the apostles at Pentecost. So I think that was uh, Pam. For well, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. All right. So it's the only other time outside of those. And all of these places, they all use the exact same phrase, baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is what we can agree on. This is what... 
we can all say there's two things that we believe. One is that Jesus is still baptizing Christians with the Holy Spirit. That that wasn't something that just happened to the apostles. That today, uh, Christians are being baptized by Jesus into the Holy Spirit. We That becomes clear because of 1 Corinthians 12. That's why it's so important. Because if you don't have 1 Corinthians 12, you don't know if that was just the apostles or us too. But because of 1 Corinthians 12, we know that all of us are included in this doctrine. The second thing we know is that because of this, Christians are connected with other Christians and Christians are connected into the church. The church, per se, did not exist until Pentecost. Usually people say that was the first day, that was the day of the first church. And so when we talk about what is it in a Christian that connects us in a brotherhood and sisterhood with other Christians, what is it that connects us with the church, universal church as a local church? It's this, the fact that we've all been baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's the connecting factor. If we don't have that, we're not connected, at least not as closely. Now, the debate part, because we're in the series of salvation issues and debates. Then becomes the question that has been raised for us today. When does the baptism of the Holy Spirit occur? And what are the visible results of this happening? Those two questions have caused, like I said, what has separated denominations over that issue. First, let's talk about the visible signs. And I'll throw this out to y'all because some of y'all said y'all know about this and you talked about it. What are typically said are the, if you have a Pentecostal background or family that are Pentecostal, what are typically said are the visible signs that the Pentecostal church says happens when somebody's baptized by the Holy Spirit? I don't want to be the only one talking, Dan. Speaking in tongues. It's usually the big one. Is there any others? I know there is. It's a gift, spirit. Yeah, it's a gift. It, it feels like a gift. Uh, I mean, they're combined and said they're, they're given gifts. Yeah. Oh, the, the baptism with the Holy Spirit's a gift? No. It's like speaking in tongues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Teaching? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, from what I understand, now again, I'm coming from somebody who doesn't have a huge Pentecostal background, and I'll admit that up front. Um, from what I understand, obviously tongues is the biggest uh, obvious thing that happens when somebody's baptized with the Holy Spirit. But there could be other things, including stuff like having a powerful teaching, having other miraculous abilities, you know, be able to do miracles and that kind of stuff. They, you know, no, that's actually the Baptist. Um, I've got some of those in my family, so I can't say that. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, really? <laughs> um, so these are the visible signs that they say happen. And again, the Pentecost, talking about the Pentecostal church is like talking about Baptists. You know, it's pretty wide range. It's you can't, it's hard to say a like one statement and it apply to every Pentecostal church. Just like you can't it's hard to say one statement about Baptists because they're so wide too. But um, for the most part, Pentecostal churches 
Uh, some of them will say you have to speak in tongues. Um, or some of them will say that's definitely a dead giveaway. Um, there's definitely a segment of the Pentecostal church that will say if you don't speak in tongues, then you have not been baptized. And that's like, a you know, so like I've never spoken in tongues before. So they would say I've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. What they talk about speaking in tongues is day of Pentecost. Yeah. A lot of people there yeah yeah absolutely and you know speaking in tongues today although most of the time is not what we see in acts 2 you know it's not somebody speaking a real language and people understanding it's an angel language or heavenly language um but the Acts 2 is where they go back and say, when you get baptized, you speak in tongues, because that's what happened in Acts 2. Uh, also, Paul talks about how he speaks in tongues in 1 Corinthians. And so that gets further proof that that's something that you need to do. Now, just about the traditional view, just about everybody else, says that speaking in tongues is not necessary. It's just one of several things that the Holy Spirit gives you. And um, as proof of that, they point to where the Pentecostal church goes to Acts 2. The traditional argument goes to 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. So I want to get that real quick. Well, I'm open to it. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through a Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Yeah. So in 1 Corinthians 12, and then really in several places, 1 Corinthians, Paul makes the point that not everybody can speak in tongues in that church. And that that's okay. That's part of what Corinth was going through, was that there was people who were speaking in tongues, and they said they were better Christians because they could. And Paul writes to say, no, you're not, because you speak in tongues. And so the traditional view is that speaking tongues is not a dead giveaway of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And certainly isn't a necessary response, but it's just one of several things that could happen that God could give you when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And God might baptize you and give you a different spiritual gift other than that. And that's perfectly okay. That's the traditional view of the practical outworks of this. Now, that's to say... Um, as a Baptist church, we usually um, don't have speaking in tongues in the service. I always say usually, it's basically never. Uh, I've never been in a Baptist church where somebody has spoken in tongues. It, um, that's not to say, you know, if you're here today and you believe that speaking in tongues is a perfectly viable thing to do, that's fine. You know, I have no problem with somebody thinking that. Um I think it's still possible for God to allow people to speak supernaturally in other languages. I'm not so positive about the heavenly speech, but you know, if that's what you believe, that's, that's fine. That's cool. What do you think would be our response 
if somebody did come to our church and wanted to say something in tongues, what do you think our response should be? <laughs> they start well they start speaking in tongues without permission yeah and hopefully nobody does that have anybody have y'all ever thought about it what would happen if somebody just started speaking in tongues in here uh, one thing, and i'm not familiar with it at all but what I've always heard is if, if somebody does speak in terms or somebody that can interpret it, that's what I was fixing to say. Yeah. Yeah. And that's usually the response why Baptists have not allowed it in church is because of that passage that says if somebody speaks in tongues, you have to have somebody to interpret it. And if there's nobody there to interpret it, the person who speaks in tongues has to sit down. And since so infrequently there's somebody that can interpret it, at least in Baptist circles, in Pentecostal circles there are, that's why we just basically have a, have a no tongues rule in most Baptist churches. At least not in, in the, uh, I'm talking about in the public worship setting, not the private setting. Um, does that all make sense? I've also heard though that, that maybe Baptists don't believe in that because the people that speak in tongues uh, make everybody else feel like less of a Christian and, and they feel superior. That certainly can be a problem. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be from people that do that, but uh, you know, that can be something that comes up. Thank you, touching heads. So he said, like the whole, like the, was it miracle healers? Um, Anyways, so does that all make sense? And does that also make sense? You know, the uh, why, even though you might be here and believe in speaking in tongues, we don't do it in our worship services, our public worship services. Okay. I think if very Yeah, that's basically what it boils down to. So the second question that is the debate over the most Protestant churches and Pentecostal church is a question on when does this actually happen? Um, the Pentecostal church says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second event that happens after you get saved. And they don't mean usually seconds. They mean it could be like quite a while after you get saved that it happens to you. And to support the view, they'll point to stuff like Acts 2 again. You know, the fact that the disciples were definitely saved before Acts 2. Like, nobody's going to look at the disciples and say that they were lost before Acts 2. But they didn't get the Holy Spirit until Acts 2. They'll point to other places like the Samaritans who were Christians, but they didn't get the Holy Spirit until apostles showed up. Or these believers and these followers of John who didn't get the Holy Spirit until somebody showed up. And so they'll point to these events in Acts where people seem to be saved but they didn't have the Holy Spirit as proof that baptism of the Holy Spirit is a completely separate event. And it doesn't necessarily come to every Christian, too. Um, all Pentecostal churches will say not every Christian will be blessed with that experience, just some Christians. The traditional view that everybody else believes in is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs at the moment that you're saved. Oh, good. That's what I think. <laughs> The moment that you're saved, 
and everybody who saved, it happens to me. So it's instantaneous and it's universal, as opposed to not instantaneous and not universal. And so that asks the question, then, well, how do we explain these things in Acts where the people do receive the Holy Spirit afterwards? You know, how do we, how do we explain these events? And the biggest reference is the fact that you have to realize that the book of Acts is a transition period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The apostles and the disciples and the Christians, Jesus didn't give them that much knowledge about what Christianity was going to be like, what, what Christianity was going to be different from Judaism. And so part of Acts is really them just kind of stumbling along and figuring things out for the first time. And God has to help them along to help them see things. And these events that happened where the Holy Spirit came later, it was a result of that transition period, that teaching period, where God was trying to show what Christianity is about. And so with the disciples, uh, that's the easiest one because nobody had the Holy Spirit till that moment. So that was the day that Joel chapter 2 got true, was fulfilled, was the day of Pentecost. So that, that, would, that would be an event that's not repeatable for us. That was a singular event that happens in Acts 2, and that doesn't didn't happen ever again. That's what we would say. That was a one-time event. So what about the Samaritans? Well, the, you have to remember in Judaism, only really Jews could be saved. Judaism. Uh, only in, uh, you know, national Israel. And when the Christians first started out, they thought it was the same way. You know, we look at it, we see, you know, all of us being white, and we don't think anything about that, but the first Christians thought that Christianity and Jesus was only for national Israel. And so when they go to Samaria and they find these genuine believers and then they see the Holy Spirit actually come upon them, that's a teaching moment for those early Christians that Jesus is not just for the Jewish people, that Jesus is for everybody. The Samaritans are the best ones because they hated the Samaritans. So that was even better that it happened on the people they liked the least. And then the other group of disciples, John's disciples, most likely, most people don't think they were saved. You know, it wasn't that they were saved and got the Holy Spirit later, but that they knew about John and they knew about what John taught, but they knew nothing about Jesus. And you can't be saved unless you know about Jesus. And so it wasn't like they were saved and then got the Holy Spirit. They got saved in the Holy Spirit the same, you know, at that moment in their lives. So when we look at the when, you know, traditional view, when we look at baptism in the Holy Spirit and when it happens, we would say the best indicator is not the even the book of Acts because it's such a transition period. We would say, I love that they have fun every Wednesday, y'all. Mom's going to miss it when they move into the other building and we don't hear them at all. It's going to be so quiet. So we would not say I, Acts chapter, it Acts is the best indicator of the modern church because it was a transition period. But 1 Corinthians is a better indicator of how we treat baptism of the Holy Spirit. And how many people in 1 Corinthians, I think it was 12, Pam read, how many people did that verse say was baptized in the Holy Spirit? How many people in that church? All. So in the one book that mentions the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's not connected to the book of Acts, 
Paul says that every Christian at Corinth, at Corinth, y'all, you've been with me on Sundays. At Corinth, every one of them had baptism, a Holy Spirit experience. If that's not proof it happens immediately in salvation, I don't know what is. Because that church, if there was any church that shouldn't have anybody that had the baptism of the Holy Spirit experience, it would have been that church. And so that, that's how, um, you know, this, this separation between the traditional view and the Pentecostal church has um, been. And we say that to say, though, um, there's been a lot of good stuff that has happened as a result of our Pentecostal brothers and their emphasis on baptism of the Holy Spirit. And part of that has been just a renewed interest in the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, the idea that worship is not just saying words, but it's, a, it's something you should do with your heart. You know, that prayer is not just words, but something you should do with the heart. The emphasis of needing the Holy Spirit's power to do missions, Holy Spirit's power to lead a church. These are all things that a lot of people didn't even think about until the Pentecostal church started emphasizing the need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Which leads me to, in my opinion, the more important doctrine, which y'all have already talked about some in Sunday school, and that's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Holy, now the Pentecostal church also believes in being filled with the Holy Spirit. The difference is, the traditional view is a lot of things that the Pentecostal church characterizes as being baptized, we would just say that it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the term filled with the Holy Spirit is mentioned way more in the New Testament than the term baptized. In fact, it's kind of ridiculous that we don't even talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit as a doctrine as much as we do, because the Bible talks about it way more than the doctrine of baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it's really the idea of being filled is that even if you have the Holy Spirit at baptism, at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I mean, um, your connection or maybe your experience with the Holy Spirit can change. You have him, but you can be more full of the Holy Spirit or less full of the Holy Spirit. And it's up to you. That's a your choice type of thing. You can do things that can cause you to be more filled with the Holy Spirit and the resulting blessings that come, or you can cause things that cause you to be less filled with the Holy Spirit and the cause and the stuff that comes. And that becomes really, in my opinion, more important doctrine than the idea of exactly when we get baptized in the first place. And so, so somebody get from me Ephesians chapter 518. 518. The what? That's fine. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is the debauchery, but be filled with spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Uh, so that's one example. In Acts 4, it twice talks about Peter being filled. And to me, that's a, a more important doctrine. So if you can think about, we got the balloon, I promised you guys earlier. So if you think about a person as being like a balloon, this is a holiday, Halloween balloon. Um, you know, when you are not a Christian, you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You're like this, this balloon that's essentially empty. Don't get technical with me. I know there's technically air in there. It's not a vacuum. Go with me. 
And, but then when you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit inside of you. And here's the thing. Would you say that that balloon is full of air? So y'all are starting to see the dilemma. Here's the thing. Technically, it is full of air. Every space inside this balloon has air in it. That I, it's not like if I we could see into here, this would be a vacuum and this would not be a vacuum. It's full of air. But as some of y'all pointed out, just because you have air doesn't mean the balloon is as full as it could possibly be. You know, you can. It's not that big, y'all. Come on. <laughs> we blow up balloons all the time for the kids. So this is more full of the Holy Spirit. And that's how our Christian lives are. You know, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, you might have this much of the Holy Spirit. You might have this much of the Holy Spirit. You still have the Holy Spirit. You're still technically full. But God can expand our souls to encompass as much as the Holy Spirit's willing to take. And so the question for us becomes not, you know, as I would say the Pentecostal brothers say about having the Holy Spirit, but about how much the Holy Spirit we really want. Do we want to be super full or do we want to be super small? So any questions about that before we talk about some implications of this? Or any comments? Like I said, I, I've already admitted I'm not like like a super genius in the Pentecostal church. So if anybody want to argue with me and say I was wrong, I'm happy for that. I'm happy to admit that I had something wrong. But once we have the Spirit, the Spirit never leaves us. That's we correct. The Spirit, but the Spirit yeah, never leaves. he never leaves us. He might, as I said, you might become less full, you might grieve him, but he doesn't leave once you're a Christian. So here's why this is important, y'all. For one thing, like I said earlier, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit connects us with other Christians, and it connects us with the church. And the local church is the concrete manifestation of our belonging with other Christians. And so when we ask questions like, you know, why should we care about what other Christians are doing? Or why should we care to even gather with other Christians? Well, the fact that we all been baptized with the Holy Spirit is one of the answers why. Because that's part of the unifying measure of us all. Another application is that we should care a lot more about the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, the, our walk shouldn't be dry or it shouldn't be just straight logic. That there should be a reason, there should be a reaching out for this third person, the Trinity, to be part of our lives and to fill us, but to do more. You know, to be guided by the Holy Spirit, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to allow Him to illuminate what the Bible says, to allow him to comfort us. There's so many things the Holy Spirit can do for us. And as I said before, one of the things that Baptist churches have historically probably left that we're reminded by our Pentecostal brothers is we really should care a little bit more about the Holy Spirit in our lives than we do. And I would say, you know, at the top of this, those are the two biggest things I would put forward. You know, the caring about each other because we each have the Holy Spirit and caring about the Holy Spirit and the desire to see him move in our lives. So, so a concluding question for you guys. 
Um, does anybody have a story you want to tell about how the Holy Spirit maybe moved in your way, life in a certain way? You, either he changed you or he guided you to make a certain decision or to do something that you just know it was the Holy Spirit moving in your life. Anybody have a story like that you want to tell real quick? Y'all hear tons of stories from me on Sunday, so. Come on, I know somebody in here has felt the Holy Spirit moving their lives. Well, this one is silly, but <laughs> when we had the truck or treat here, I, Joyce, you know, made a cake, and I thought, I just got to have that cake. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I went with the kids, running around, having <laughs> time. The last thing, I won. And I said, I don't ever win anything. That has to be God. Yeah. Doing that because there's no other way in the world like I've ever won the case. Well, we definitely don't believe in coincidences. So, is the Holy Spirit the one that makes you sometimes feel like getting up and going down to the mm -hmm. church in the front? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. It's that, it's that feeling, you know, we don't. I've never heard God visibly, audibly, I mean, talk to me, but it's almost like a feeling in your gut that you should do something. And that's the Holy Spirit's moving in your life, that push to say, and it's not, it's usually something that like you normally wouldn't want to do. I never really had the Holy Spirit tell me something that I was like super happy to do. It's usually a feeling to do something that I really don't want to do, but I know I should because I have this feeling that I should do it. Like visiting someone and then that's happened to me before, the Holy Spirit is telling me, go visit. Yeah. And then the next couple of days they're gone you know? mm -hmm. yeah yeah or go call somebody and then you're like you do call them and it's like you're so happy you did because something was happening or the opposite could happen too the power of the Holy Spirit over well made like you tonight when they laid his hand over and I shared it with the I was a blogger because I just could not express to anyone what I was feeling, but it was just so overwhelming joy. Yeah. That that sounds wrong. Yeah. Here in the sanctuary, to know that these ladies got together and practiced, I think twice before that, not that song. And then the night of the practice they did that I heard, they came in here and did it with the piano, and it was just it was perfect. Mm -hmm. And um, even now, I get choked up thinking about it. It was so joyful mm -hmm. to hear that beauty mm -hmm. come through because. People are willing yeah. to step up and do their job. Yeah, and you make a good point too. Like when we talk about filling of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't necessarily have to be individuals. You can also have filling of groups like that, or like a church can be filled or not filled with the Holy Spirit too. And that's very true. That's certainly something we should desire as a church, as a group, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sunday, where you just that Sunday. Yeah. Might be music, might be serving, mm -hmm. 
this is true, like of the point that Fran was making that when he called him, that that's what happens is God calls people and calls people, and sometimes that's what we say they, their, their hearts are becoming hardened because mm -hmm. of, for whatever reason they're just a lot to make and refuse and that. And yeah. it, it takes more. Yeah, but you can definitely resist the call of the Holy Spirit to do stuff. And the more you resist, the harder you get, the harder your heart gets toward that feeling. All right. Well, I hate to stop it, but I know the kids' workers will probably kill me if I let this go too long. So <laughs> I'm usually reminded every Wednesday. So, um, sure. Uh, when we were delivering home down when we went by June Chambers, he and his children were having a discussion of whether to bring my home. Okay. So we were just talking about them earlier. Yeah, okay. All right. I'll break. Well, she's at Cook Springs right now. So, I mean, so, I don't know, but it was a heated discussion. Wow. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll close out and pray, and I'll pray for them especially. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to come here today. And Lord, we're thankful for this, uh, this doctrine, this belief. Lord, we're so thankful that we don't have to live like Old Testament believers without the Holy Spirit. God, we can have the confidence that you're with us all the time. And Lord, I pray that we would um, be believers and be a church, too, as we talked about. That would be willing and able to be filled with your Holy Spirit, God, and listening to your call, listening to your touch in our lives, God. And um being a part of those spiritual gifts that you've given us. And God, I pray especially for Mylene and for Jim, God, that you would just give them wisdom and the kids wisdom on what to do with Mylene. Lord, I pray you continue to help her and be with her, and especially that you pour their wisdom, your wisdom upon them, God, and also that you would just draw them closer to you, help them to know that you're near, help them know that you hold their situation in your hand, that you've never left them or forsaken, God. And just pray that they would feel a a sense of your peace and your presence in their lives. And they would know, God, that you are there and that we're praying for them. God, we're so thankful that you hear us. We're so thankful that you're there for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Totally forgot to turn this around. So I'm sorry you didn't see me. Hopefully you could at least hear and understand, though. Sometimes I do forget to turn it around. But all right. See ya.